Uh, one thing that Mike forgot to mention was that uh, tonight, be sure and bring your kids because kids are great visual learners. And they'll get a lot out of this uh, in lessons they could probably use for life. Uh, true? Okay, thanks. Uh, let's pray. Fathers, we open your word this morning. We ask you to come and speak to each one of us. We ask you to make it applicable to our lives. And uh, we're going to give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. So Acts chapter 10, starting with verse 1. Close. <laughs> At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what is known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day they were... As they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. And a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord. Peter replied, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him again a second time, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of this vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who is known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? Now let's stop right there. Uh, I hope you, for the sake of time, will finish this chapter on your own. Um, awesome chapter. And it contains three main characters. Peter, Cornelius, and the Lord. 
Now, this is a pivotal story in the church history. Until this time, every convert to Jesus Christ was a bunch of Jews at Pentecost, a couple thousand of them, from Judea and Israel and all over the Mediterranean Rim. Uh, In Acts chapter 8, Samaritans, who were half-Jews. And in Acts chapter 8, an Ethiopian eunuch, who was probably a Jewish convert. But what did they all have in common? They were all Jews. Cornelius is the first bona fide Gentile convert to Christianity. Matter of fact, they didn't even call them Christians yet. But it's such an important event that Luke records it twice. First here in Acts 10, and then the first part of Acts 11 when he rehearses what happened to the, uh, the church at, uh, at Jerusalem, which we'll get into ne- next week. But we need to understand, for this story to mean anything, <clears throat> the lifelong belief system of Peter. He was raised a Jew. From his earliest memories, he had been taught and observed Jewish traditions. On every culture, there's a list of do's and don'ts. But in the Jewish culture, God clearly outlined every particular. How to dress, relationships, Sabbaths, business, uh, religious holidays, what to eat, how to cook it, you name it, it's in in the Old Testament. These traditions were so ingrained into the Jewish people that it influenced all behavior. And those of us that just went to Israel uh, this spring observed it firsthand. It still influences all behavior. Now, I love Peter. Uh, he was first in line almost all the time. You walk on water, I want to try. Peter was the one when Jesus said, who do you say I am? He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter's the one who said, when, when Jesus at one time had 70 disciples, he said something about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, and about 60 of them left. He said, are you guys going to leave too? And Peter is the one that said, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus called him the rock. That's what Peter means, the rock. They were close enough that Jesus had a nickname for him. There is more interaction recorded between Peter and Jesus than anyone else. And Jesus spent a lot of time grooming this fisherman to be the leader of the early church. He was the first preacher at Pentecost after the Holy Spirit came. He had come a long way from a guy that's catching fish with a net to leading the early church. He made a few mistakes, but I think he did better than I would have. Think of all that change in a person's life. He peeled off centuries 
of tradition and walked in a new faith, a faith given by Jesus Christ. And by the end of Acts 9, this guy had come a long way because he was living with Simon the Tanner. Now, Jews considered tanning to be an unclean profession because you had to handle dead things. And that was against the law, the kosher deal. But even though he was a tanner, he was still a Jew and therefore safe, lawful to have interaction with. So no matter how far we've come in our spiritual journey or think we've come, there are still barriers that we have, that we carry. And the Lord had a huge barrier to knock out of Peter. You see, Peter's life history was kosher. Even though he'd rubbed elbows with the Lord for three years, he had watched Jesus do the miraculous. He had done the miraculous himself with the beggar at the gate beautiful. He had heard Jesus say, go and teach all nations. But he hadn't taken a very big step outside of the Jewish community. He may have been willing. He may not have even understood that all nations meant all the world. But something I love about the Lord is that He speaks in ways that I can understand. In this instance, food. I've got food down. I love food. But it was about lunchtime. Peter went up on the roof to pray. I don't know that this was his daily habit to pray at lunchtime or if he was just checking in, but... I'm sure the Lord teaching him to pray, this was a habit of his. And the Lord's timing was perfect because the Scripture says Peter was hungry. And so the Lord let down this big sheet, a tablecloth, if you will, tied at the four corners, and it had all kinds of food on it, what I call food. I'm an Adkins guy. But it was stuff that was forbidden for the Jews to eat, like lobster, crab, oysters, pork, frog legs, shrimp, rabbit, ostrich, crawdads, all kinds of things that in our culture we consider to be delicacies. And probably some things that we wouldn't consider to be delicacies, like camel or bat, snakes. But the Lord said, get up, Peter, kill, and eat. Now, has the Lord ever given you a directive and the first words out of your mouth are, no, or no, Lord, or no way, Lord? You can admit it. We're in good company here. The apostle Peter did. He said, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean or non-kosher. Some translate the word common as profane or non-sacred. 
there's a standard there that has been echoed through the ages. Lord, I have never crossed that line. I've been a good boy. I don't smoke. I don't chew. I don't go with girls that do. You know, you heard that? <laughs> that is commendable. And I hope every one of us can say to the Lord that we have not violated our conscience. That is a good thing. But there's a danger in this that we need to beware of. And it is this. The idea that the Lord has no care for those over the line that we won't cross could be spiritual pride, the feeling that my obedience and my lifestyle makes me just a little bit better than those people. And the danger lies in a barrier, in the form of a barrier <clears throat> between those who have tasted God's grace and those who have not. Did you know that the church has a reputation? We are supposed to be all-inclusive. The people that aren't in the church consider us exclusive. Many say that Christians are snobs. They're self-righteous and judgmental. Now that may not be how we perceive ourselves, but that's how many outside of the church perceive us. That's not a very good report card. And how about how Christians view others outside of the church? We get to judge ourselves. What goes through my mind when I see another human being who doesn't quite fit the mold I have for what a person is supposed to be? Pretty quiet in here. <laughs> Particularly, those people that are anti-whatever-I-am. This would be such an easy sermon if it were just about food. We can all eat bacon now. Go in peace. <laughs> but after the Lord offered these options to Peter, and after Peter said no, the Lord said, what God has made clean, you may not call unclean. This happened three times. Never gotten an impression from the Lord and didn't respond, and so he brought it up again. Didn't respond, and he brought it up again three times in a row. Must be important. It says that Peter, and I love that King James says, was deeply perplexed at what this vision meant. You see, in his mind, he thought these rules and guidelines were made by you, God. They are carved in stone. They came out of your mouth, and now you're telling me to step out over this line that defines who I am and my relationship with you? Or maybe he wasn't that deep that day. Maybe he was just thinking, what does this have to do with me anyway? But, 
The most important person in this, human person, in this story is not Peter. It is Cornelius. He was a God-seeker. Even though he had never been introduced to Jesus Christ, he was active, Jesus was active in his life. Now, there is an illusion that some Christians have that God only reveals himself to us believers. But this man always prayed to God. This man, not only God heard his prayers, but he answered them. He had a vision of his own before Peter's. Cornelius, the angel of God said. He called him by name. He says, I've been listening to your prayers. I've been watching your life. And the angel gave specific instructions to go to get Peter, even gave an address. And Cornelius responded in faith and did as the angel had told him. And not only that, he invited his family and friends over to hear what Peter had to say. And as the story goes, the Spirit told Peter not to doubt. So he went, he said, this, the Lord said, this is me, this is a God thing. He had explained to Cornelius that he was just a man. But Peter said this, he said, you know that it is forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner, but God has shown me that I must not call any person common or unclean. That's why I came without any objection when I was sent for. So I ask you, why did you send for me? I don't know if Peter is getting this or not. I wonder if he even thought Gentiles could get saved. But maybe Cornelius had a little better idea of what was going on than Peter did. Because he opens his thing with, so we're all present here before God to hear everything you have command, He has commanded you to say. I don't know if I'm reading the white part of the page here or not, but in between verse 33 and 34, later in the story, something clicks for Peter because he begins one of the shortest sermons recorded in Scripture with this comment. In truth, I understand that God doesn't show favoritism. No, his sermon is short, it is truth. And maybe that's a good lesson for us right there. Uh, when we're preparing to share the gospel, all we really need to do is know the truth and speak it simply. Before Peter could even finish this little sermon, the Holy Spirit came and God does, God did what God does. And people were baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they started speaking in tongues. And they started praising Almighty God for His wonderful works. That's awesome. This is an awesome story. The prayers and visions and the Lord speaking and the Spirit moving and people getting baptized and saved. And If you think about it though, that huge barrier that Peter was carrying around this had to be a pretty spectacular set of events 
to break through that in his mind. But I'm glad it did because that barrier kept the gospel from 99 point something percent of the world's population. Gentiles. Us. I'm glad for that. I believe that every salvation story is spectacular. When one human being saved by grace shares with another human being and that person receives the gospel, receives the story of Jesus, is born again, has a new life, the Lord shows up and makes it real. Jesus said, all of heaven rejoices. All of heaven. Each salvation experience is a unique event. Just like each one of us is a unique individual. There is no salvation story like yours because there's no person like you. Remember that the angel called Cornelius by name. That's a characteristic of God that's been occurring since the very first sin. When he said, Adam, where are you? And it's recorded many times in Scripture. Abram. Get up, Abram. You and I are going on a trip. Someplace you've never been. Samuel, a little boy. Zacchaeus, Saul, that you heard about last week. You know what Jesus told Nathaniel when they met? He said, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. He is deeply involved in the life of every human being. Do you know your, remember your salvation experience? You remember how personal it was? Maybe you didn't hear the Lord call out your name, but you felt His presence. You knew He was there calling you personally. Imagine the King of the universe, the Creator of the stars and the galaxies, all the, the vast things that He could be thinking about and he focused on you. Saying, I've heard your prayer. I've been watching your life. I see your struggles and I know your pain. I know what you like, think, and feel. I've witnessed every detail of your journey up to this point the good and the bad. And I am calling you to share relationship with me and ultimately my kingdom. This is the sole mission of God on earth. It's why He became a man. Jesus said to seek and to save those that are lost. People 
individuals, you and me and every beating heart on this earth, named and unnamed, means so much to Him that He was willing to lay aside His glory. Come here, live as a servant, die as a, as a criminal to redeem me for my sin. And you too. Philippians 2, the first few verses, is a great, lines this out perfectly. This is the big picture. And I don't think the Lord is done saving people just yet. In our story, it wasn't the unbeliever that the Lord needed to work on. It was Peter, the head of the church. And as is often the case, the greatest adjustment in sharing Christ has to occur in me, not in the other person. That's why I love talking to drunks. You don't really need to do a lot of explanation to a guy that's dirty, broke, and laying in a gutter about the condition of his life. Very few of them say, I'm on my way to the office. <laughs> Just like there were barriers in the mindset of Peter that would have persuaded or prevented him from ever reaching out to Cornelius, there are barriers that would prevent us from reaching out to others who don't quite fit our mold. And I believe it's up to us, the church, to break that mold. It's in our head anyway. I will point out that Cornelius was wealthy. He was well-liked. He was a church-goer. He was generous, and he prayed all the time. But Jesus extended the same offer to a thief at his execution. And I don't want to dwell on what you might think your personal barriers might be, or mine either, but I know that we all have some. Now, at some blatant prejudices, I cringe like racial prejudice. I don't like to see anybody claim racial superiority. I don't care what their race is. It goes both ways. But there are other preferences that I have that I'm more comfortable with, like political preferences. Nobody else has those? Again, I'm all alone. <laughs> the point is that great or small, if I allow my preferences to keep someone else from a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, I'm in the wrong. He loves that person as much as me. If they don't have the past I have, maybe they love, he loves them more. But remember I said that Cornelius is the most important human being in this story. Today, in the now, every human being is the most important character in our story. Bill Hybels said, I have never locked eyes with another human being who is not in desperate need of God's grace. Desperate need. I'd like to add that every soul 
every life that is born again changes the dynamic of the entire church. Acts 2.47 says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's a God thing. And this event in Acts 10 changed the church forever. It also changed Peter forever. If you'd bring up, Patrick, uh, 1 Peter 2. As you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Stones. That's what they built with back then. Now he could have said lumber or steel or bricks or shingles, but this was common to them. He said they're all neatly fit together, every individual component, to make a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jews and Gentiles alike. And it's called the church. That is us. It's God calling. He's been calling since the beginning of time. He is the one who has wooed each of us into His marvelous light. Funny how my, my greatest position in life wasn't even my doing. It was all Him. And He's still calling. He's actively pursuing people around the globe at this very moment. And maybe across this room. And I'll bet in the people you interact with during this coming week. Remember I started with one of Peter's greatest statements, he said, Lord, where else will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now, being born again, a recipient of God's immeasurable grace, I ask, Lord, where else can they go? You have. And you have commanded us to share the words of eternal life. Jesus said He would draw all mankind to Himself. And He is. We need to be faithful to His call to us. And put away any preference that we might have that would keep another human being from having a relationship with Him. Oswald Chambers writes, I love this, we need to let God be as original with other people as He is with us. We need to let God be as original with other people as He is with us. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful 
that you have called us into your kingdom. And we confess that it is all you. All we had to bring to the proposition was our sin. But you have saved us by your great grace. Keep us humble in this knowledge. And Lord, give us your heart for every human being we confront this week and throughout the rest of our days to be your representatives of your love, your grace, and your kindness. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, stand, if you would, please, and we are going to close with... Um, Not mad at me, are you? Let's form a rectangle. Donna is uh, back in Pennsylvania. Her sister, I think two sisters younger than her, has gotten a virus and it's attacked her heart. And her heart is not working. And so Donna's taking a trip back there to uh, 
to spend time with her. Her name is Brenda, and uh, prayers for her would be greatly appreciated. Uh, any other concerns or joys? John? All right. Others? Hi, Pam. Kelly. through that door this morning, spoken and unspoken. We ask that you'd give it your divine attention 
and do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. In the name of Jesus, amen. See.